You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. We are at milepost number 18, the book of Job. The book of Job. I believe there's something in every book of the Bible for you. I believe that you should read the entire Bible and get acquainted with it because there are many promises in the Bible that you won't find if you don't read the Old Testament. And all the promises of God are yours when you're in Christ. You have to be careful, though. You have to understand Paul's doctrine really good before you can read the Old Testament right. Because you'll read the Old Testament and think everything in there is to you. But it's not. I said you'll read the Old Testament if you don't know Paul's doctrine and think everything in the Old Testament is to you, but it's not. I know, what, I know what you've been told. Well, I believe the whole Bible. I believe the whole Bible too, but I don't believe it's all for me, to me. Yeah. Or I'd be circumcising my grandkids and kids. You don't believe it's to you if you didn't circumcise your children. And not just circumcised by a doctor. It has to be, has to be done the ritual way, the right way through, through the uh, rabbi. Yeah. You don't believe that anymore, do you? No. Well, it wasn't for you. It wasn't to you. It was to somebody else who's still supposed to do it. Who is that somebody still supposed to do that? The Jews. That was a covenant they had, and God said, you'll keep this covenant forever. And that was before, listen to me, that covenant came to them before the law. That was Abraham's covenant with them. They still have to do that one. You don't, praise God. So there's lots of things you don't have to do, but there are many things in the Old Testament that are beautiful promises for you and me to, to know. And here's... Here's something that you can see from Job chapter 42 and verse 10. And I had something quite miraculous happen to me this morning. As I was going over my notes again, I found a theme. I had picked out five mileposts to talk to you about today. Five of them. Don't run out of the building, I'll be done before noon. Five of them. These five are all from the poetic books of the Bible. There are five books of the Bible called the poetry books, the poetic books. They are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And all five of them, the most important verse I found in all five of them is a prosperity verse. I I did it quite accidentally. I was just believing that this was the most important verse in that, that book. And I found out that all of them have our prosperity in mind. You ought to be shouting bigger than that because there's some good news in this for you today. There's some real good news in this for you today. Job 42:10. We tend to think of Job in a sad way. I have people ask me when I'm preaching on the goodness of God. I hear people sometimes come to me and they say, well, what about Job? They can't even say Job happy. What about Job? (laughs) They have to say his name sad, Job. What about Job? 
And I always, if I had a marker board, I'd show you what I do. I, I write me and you. I, I write Job over here, Job on this side, and you and me on this side, and I put a big cross in the middle. Amen. That's what about Job. That's what about Job. Job didn't have an intercessor. He didn't have anybody to cry out for him like you do. You have a man in heaven, glory to God, a man seated on the throne of God for you today. And if there's a man on the throne, the right hand of the Father, that means men can get into heaven. If one's sitting on the throne, all of heaven is open to you. Yes. Glory to God. Amen. That's better preaching than you're shouting. <laughs> Mile post 18. And the Lord, 42.10, turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. When did this happen? When he prayed for his friends. Not when he prayed for himself, but when he prayed for his friends. Because he knew they were idiots. They had turned on him. They had said every evil thing about him, had accused him of every kind of evil. And instead of blasting them, he prayed for them. Had something evil happen to me one time. I think I told you about it. I think I've told you about it recently. I don't remember. I, I preach and teach so much, I can't remember where I told my stories. Is it okay if I tell it again? I had a guy show up at my door, at the church door one Sunday morning telling me he was going to leave the church. And he was part of my leadership. He was our choir director. I said, why? He said, this will be my last Sunday. I said, no, 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 it won't. Last Sunday was your last Sunday. If you're not with me, I don't want you here right now. If your heart's not here, I don't want the rest of you here. Is this too mean? If your heart's not here, I don't want, the, I don't want your body here. Last Sunday was your last Sunday. He said, but I want you to bless me. I can't do it unless you bless me. I said, then you can't do it. Because I won't bless you. He took off anyway. So we had church without him. We did all right. But all three praise and worship, I'm sitting there fuming about it. He had went to a church across the street and down, down a little bit, telling me they had invited him to come be their worship leader. They had already split our church one time, took about 30 people with them. And I was having a little difficulty with that. Now all through praise and worship, the first couple of songs, I was fuming. I'm telling you, I was fuming. I was wanting to hurt somebody. Anybody. And God began to deal with me. I can't fume for very long without God talking to me. Can you? I can't get away with it very long. I don't know how long you can get away with it, but I get away with it for about 10 minutes and I'm done. So I left the, left the auditorium, left them, left, left them worshiping, and I went out, went out of the building, around behind the building, and walked down the street a little ways to where the other church was. And I stood in the parking lot of our church, Crossed the street from them, raised my hands, and began to bless them. I blessed them. I said, I bless you in Jesus' name. I give you peace. I bless you with my peace. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you with prosperity. I bless you with many people. May you, may you prosper and grow and be in health. And I, did, I stood there and did that until my heart got right. Because I wanted to cuss them. 
I've proven to y'all I know how to cuss. But I don't do that anymore. I called my mom up one day and she was talking about something. I said, I'd call him an SOB, but I don't talk like that. I mean, I wanted to, man. I'm, don't be, look so really religious. We're not religious in this church. We're honest in this church. We love God with all our hearts, but we, we admit when we were human. I was so mad. But I stood there and I blessed them, did what God told me to do, blessed them until I got over it. And when the anger subsided, I went back to my church and had a good time. Finished Amen. up praise and worship, had a good time. I was over it. Six months later, that church closed down. The husband and wife who split my church divorced. They split me, then they got split. Seriously. You reap what you sow, you don't have to fight your own battles. If you will do what God tells you to do and bless and not curse. Bless and not curse. You th you're thinking of somebody right now, aren't you? You're thinking of somebody you need to be blessings to the cursing right now. Bless them. If you bless them, God will get involved. You bless them, God will get involved. If you want to fight your own battles, He'll let you. He'll let you. The wife of that couple showed up in my office in Dallas one day needing my help. Came and sat in front of my, my in my office, Mr. Holler. Uh, would you help me? I need you to help me if you would buy these products and this and that for this school. I said, Yeah, where are you from? She said, I'm from McKinney. I went from McKinney. <laughs> yeah, I was a pastor's wife and we got a divorce. He left me for another woman. I'm sitting looking at, What was the name of your church? <laughs> you you know where I'm going, don't you already? Yeah. It was that church. And God brought her here, sit at my feet, asking, needing my help. I said, I'm John Holler. You know, she said, I, I, they told me who you were. I said, I'm John, Pastor John Holler, Cornerstone Worship Center. She looked at me with her mouth open. She knew if I was about to pull a gun or what, I think. And it was a good thing for her to think. She sat and looked at me. I said, yeah, you, now you know who I am. She said, can you help me? I said, I'll do everything I can to help you. Amen. Now she never came back. She never came back. I was willing to try to help her, but she never came back because she couldn't stand it. Let me tell you something, you don't have to fight your own battles. Right. All your, your job is to do is to be a blessing and God will fight your battles for you. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much. Our church began to grow and grow and grow. Went, went, over to, went to 650 people in, in McKinney, Texas, with several congregations. Went from about 300 to 650. Had more than twice as much after I blessed them. Are you hearing me? Job twice as much as he had before. So here's, here's the truth I want you to hear. Your service secures your financial future. Your service secures your financial future. It's one of the, the dynamics. In this portrait, poetic books, the first one says, Job served his friends and God secured his future. Matthew 25 says this, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand,
Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you in the foundation, from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, verse 40, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of one of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. The reason your service is so important in the local church, those of you who, who served in our youth camps and our, youth, our children's camps and those who serve in the nursery, those who work around here cleaning this building, the reason it's so effective for you and it so helps you is because God sees it as you helping Him. Amen. You serve Him by serving other people. Remember how personal He takes it. The Apostle Paul never once did anything to Jesus. Couldn't touch Jesus. He's in glory. But he went after the church. He went after the church hard, did he not? He wasn't the Apostle Paul, then he was Saul of Tarsus. Went after the church hard. Hated them. He was a Jew's Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. He called himself. Born and bred. And when Jesus encountered him and apprehended him on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why... Are you persecuting me? Yeah. Not why are you persecuting my church? Why are you hurting my people? Why are you persecuting me? I just want you to know, when you're being, when you're being buffeted, when you're being persecuted, when you're being hated, Jesus is taking that personal. Yes. And he will not let it go on for long. If you will not take the fight into your own hands, but leave it to him. And just be a blessing. Continue to be a blessing. Serve, 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 serve. Serve quietly. I told y'all not long ago about the propeller on the airplane. I was flying with my friend in my little airplane I used to have. I'm not a pilot, but I owned a plane. And my friend is a pilot and didn't have a plane. We, we were a match made in Texas, I'm telling you. He flew me everywhere in my little plane. And, and one day we were riding along there, and I, and I noticed something. At altitude, 3,500, 4,500 feet, you could not see the propeller. I knew it was right out there in front of us, but you couldn't see it. So I says to him, Roy, this plane does not have a propeller. He says, yes, it does, Pastor John. I said, no, it doesn't. You can't see it, can you? He said, well, no, but just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. How many of you have ever seen God? But he's there. I said, but, it, but Roy, the, you can't see it. He said, Pastor John, if you can see it, we're in trouble. Because yeah. <laughs> the propeller does its best work, invisible. <laughs> oh, then I started thinking. I said, oh, boy, that'll preach. He said, I thought you'd find a way to preach that. I said, yeah, think about this. Those who best serve their church are those who do it without recognition. Amen. Those who do it. Anonymous, anonymously, those who do it without acknowledgement at all. 
Just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Keep the plane, keep the ministry moving forward. Glory to God. Yes. Amen. Come on, somebody shout amen. amen. Pastor Jim Hester, my pastor, is an old uh, apostle in faith. Most of you don't know him, never met him, but you've heard me talk about him. But I'll tell you something. After he retired from the pastorate, he still went out and preached all the time. An amazing preacher this man is and was. He's now in a nursing home, and Ann and I went to see him a few days ago. And uh, he's still just as bright as he ever was. Just as bright and sassy. And he's like a little bandy rooster. He's a little bitty guy, but he just, he's always got something to say. I love this man dearly. He's greatly helped me. But he tells a story about after he had, after he had retired from uh, the pastorate, he still running around and preached, and he raised money for missionaries. That's all he would do. His salary was, was intact. He had retirement money. And so he would go around and preach and take up offerings and send it off to missionaries because he loved missions. One, Sunday he asked, one Saturday he asked his wife, he said, Honey, where am I preaching tomorrow? She said, You're preaching at the, on the slab in Fort Worth that out, outdoor church for the homeless people. He said, no, I can't preach there on Sunday. She said, yes, you have to. Because you told Bill that the next open Sunday you had, you would come there and preach, and you, I found an open Sunday and I scheduled him. He said, I can't do that. I can't take up an offering with street people. I have to take up offerings for my missionaries, Joanne. She said, you're going to go because you're a man of your word. He said, I'm not going to go down there. She said, yes, you are. He said, no, I'm not going to go down there. She said, yes, you are. You're a man of your word. You're going to go. She said, he said, I'm not going to go down there. <laughs> On his way down there. <laughs> he realized he had lost the argument. He said, I'm going to take my motorcycle along. Take my motorcycle because street people love to see a motorcycle like this. He had a really nice bike. Rode his, bike, rode his motorbike down there and parked it and they were gathered all around looking at it and he's showing them everything. And here in a little bit, he preached. And in the sermon, he preached this. He said to them, I know you think money's your problem, but money's not your problem. Money and wealth and prosperity is attached to a relationship with God. Your, your problem is a God problem. He said, and, and you think I have a lot of money because you see my motorcycle. And he said, I'm, I'm doing fine. But I never wanted to be rich. He said, I told God, Lord, I just want to have enough money that I can go anywhere in the world at any time and not have to raise money. But just to be able to get up and go and visit these missionaries around the world. I had missionaries on every continent. He said, I want to be able to get up and go at the drop of a hat. Anytime any of them call me, I want to be able to go to the mission field and help these people. That's how much money I want. Enough to do that. It's quite a bit of money. Had an altar call and wanted some people to Jesus. He said, while I was preaching, though, I looked over to the edge of the crowd. There was a guy standing over there with a Stetson hat on. Looked like a $1,000 hat. He said it had a wool-lined leather, leather vest on. Looked like it probably cost $500. Had a pair of handmade ostrich boots on. He said they were several thousand dollars. He said he was dripping with gold and diamonds and Jewelry of the best kind. He said, he said, and you may not know this, but God speaks to me. And God told me instantly, that's no ordinary street person. <laughs> Spirit of discernment, I think it was. <laughs> that guy came up to him after the service. And he said, 
Dr. Hester, did I understand that you just wanted enough money to be able to go anywhere at any time? He said, yeah, I've always just wanted to be able to do that. Guy pulls out a card, a business card, and writes on the back of it a phone number and a name. He said, don't ever make another, don't ever make another reservation on an airplane without calling this number. If you call this number, I will see to it that you fly anywhere you want to with your wife, any time, as often as you like, anywhere in the world for the rest of your life. Guy on a travel agency and a lot of other businesses too. Manatech Corporation was his corporation where he made a lot of money. He said, you take that and you fly anywhere. And Brother, Brother Hester said, I took his car and said, Brother, I don't think you know how much I travel. The guy said, Brother, I don't think you know how much money I have. <laughs> he said, so that year I spent $25,000 of the guy's money. So he never blinked an eye. So I spent 25000 the next year and more and more and more. He traveled and traveled and traveled all over the world because he decided to serve somebody. If you'll serve God by serving people, God will serve you in ways that you don't expect. Come on, somebody say amen. So I suggest that you, you get involved here. There's a lot to do here. If you're one of those who says, look, I'd like to tithe, but I don't, I don't have enough money to do it, talk to Dylan, Dylan right here, Dylan Eaton, and tell him you want to you exchange your time for a tithe for right now. Amen. Talk to him. He'll set you up. Anything that we would have to spend money on, if you have skills to do it instead of us having to spend money, come talk to him. We'll trade you that. God will trade you that service. Amen? Amen? All right. Your service secures your financial future. Uh, mile post 19, not going to take as long on this one. Mile post 19 is from the Psalms. We're still in the poetic books. The Psalms, Psalm 23, 1. This sums up the whole book of the Psalms. 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's say it again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, your shepherd secures your financial future. Your shepherd secures your financial future. Your service and your shepherd. The Psalms are all about who God is and what he does for us. The distance between God's ability and man's ability is about the distance between a shepherd and a sheep. The sheep has no ability except just to chew what's in front of him, to drink what's in front of him. And the shepherd had to provide it. There's a story out that something happened this summer in a city in Spain called Husca, H-U-E-S-C-A, Husca. You probably find this on the internet. This summer, a flock of over a thousand sheep, about 1,300, one report said, sheep wandered away from their shepherd who, went to, who fell asleep, and they wandered into the city and went walking around in town. Later, the police found the shepherd and helped him guide his flock out of the city shortly thereafter. I looked on the internet and found this story. Sheep wandering around town, a thousand of them or more, because the shepherd had fallen asleep. <laughs> One good thing about your God, he never gets tired and never falls asleep. Amen. He's not going to want, 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 one day bless you and one day blast you or forget about you. The truth of God's goodness to his people is what prompts our praise. In the psalm also there's this, there's this overwhelming, overwhelming knowledge of God through his mercy. It says, his mercy endures forever, ever. The, this statement is found 42 times in the Old Testament. 
His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Not some, not part time, but forever. And 33 of the 42 times His mercy endures forever is found in the book of Psalms. 33 times. One time for every year Jesus walked this earth. His mercy endures forever. In praising God, this was one of the Jews' favorite things to say. This grand and heartfelt expression came up so often because the ordinary honest Jew knew that he had done nothing to warrant or merit God's goodness to him. So all he could say was, His mercy endures forever. Sometimes I'm so overwhelmed by God's goodness. I got a phone call one morning, one Sunday morning, from one of my sons. He said, Dad, can I talk to you about something? I said, what's up? He said, it's about my sermon. And he went to talk to me about his sermon. I'm their resident theologian, I guess, you could say. And they called me and they said, we want to, we want to see what you think about this. And I'll tell them, well, that's a little out there. That's a little bit out there, but, but I think you can say that. And I talked to him for five minutes and hung up. Five minutes more came, came by. My phone rang again. It was the other son. He wanted to talk about his sermon. They preach all over Texas, Austin, McKinney. And he called and said, Dad, I want to talk to you about my sermon. I said, all right, hit me with it. And I said, I, that's pretty good. I think I could say that too. That's, that's pretty good. And I hung up the phone and I stood up to go to get dressed. And I just was overcome by the goodness of God. I just stood there weeping in my, in my living room right out here. I just stood there just weeping and God just kept pouring blessings on me. Just bless me, bless me, just poured it on me. I stood there weeping and crying and thanking God. And he said, John, do you know how many daddies got phone calls this morning from the morgue? Do you know how many daddies got phone calls this morning from the jailhouse? You know how many dads got phone calls this morning on Sunday morning from the hospital, from the emergency room? You are blessed. I said, I am blessed. I am blessed. My security, my financial blessing has come from my shepherd. I am the Lord's, the shepherd of my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One translation says, I shall not lack. Hey, I like that one. I've been in lack before. It's come at me a few times. Am I in the right house? But you, this is not your state of being. It may have come to you, but it's not your way of life. You have a shepherd who provides for you. Not that you never get hungry, but he's, gonna, he's out looking for green pastures for you right now. All we can say is his mercy endures forever. No sheep deserves the care his shepherd gives him based on his performance. The sheep that can do backflips doesn't get more food than the others. The sheep that can walk on his front legs doesn't get more than the others. No sheep deserves the care his shepherd gives him based on his performance. A sheep receives care for one reason, because he belongs to the shepherd. Hallelujah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One translation says, as I already said, it says, I shall not lack. This needs to be the confession of your lips, no matter what your present financial situation is. Let's say it together, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. We are the people who not only worship God, but emulate and imitate Him. As he, and He calls those things which be not as though they were. So we not only think like Him and worship Him, but we act like Him and talk like Him. 
Your shepherd secures your financial future. Milepost 20. Are you ready? You getting anything out of this yet? Proverbs chapter 18. Now there's two verses here. I have to read two sometimes to tell you what the one means. I'm, I'm really looking at verse 21. Proverbs 18, 21. But we have to have 20 to give a little definition to verse 21. Okay? Proverbs 18, 20 says, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You see, this is a prosperity verse because it talks about eating and being filled with what you say. Being provided for. So let's say this. Your sayings secure your financial future. Your service, your shepherd, and your sayings, what you say, secures your financial future. There's an interesting moment here in this verse. It says, the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The word power there in the Hebrew is the word yod, Y-A-D. The Hebrews have no, have very few ethereal abstract words. Power is a kind of abstract words. It can mean a lot of things, as you know. It can mean physical strength. It can mean an engine, it can mean a sound, it can mean all kinds of powerful things. It's kind of abstract and overlays. That's not how the Hebrew language works. The word power is translated from the Hebrew word yod, which means hand. Yod, hand, Y-A-D. So here's how it says it. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. Oh, that means whatever your tongue gets a hold of, yes. that's where you are. That's good. Yeah. That's so good. That's why it's very, real dangerous to get to be critical. Because yes. Yes, you're going to find yourself sowing seeds of criticism. And what do seeds have? Harvest attached yeah. to them. Right. You get the harvest of what you sow. Don't get quiet on me now that I'm preaching good. Because what you say does matter. It has a harvest attached. The hand of the tongue. I found out something as a little boy that wherever my tongue was, that's where my life was. Because my brother had me lick something that was cold one time. He stood me on a chair, opened the old icebox. Remember the old freezer boxes? How they would get all, all crusty with ice? He said, John, lick that. And I said, why? He said, it tastes really good. I said, it does? He said, yeah. I said, did you do it? He said, yeah, I did it. Lied through his teeth. <laughs> so I licked it. Uh, 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 ah! Mama, you know, I couldn't say mama. I said, uh, uh, uh. He's laughing his brains out over here. What little he had. It was so bad. Mama had to come in there and pour water over it and peel me off of that. My tongue was sore for a week. My brother got a beating over it. <laughs> but I found out something. Wherever my tongue is, that's where my life is. I wasn't going nowhere without my tongue. <laughs> Have you ever had an experience like that? Anybody here? Yeah. If, you, if you've never done it, don't do it. 
If you ever done it, don't do it. Not worth it. Not worth the trial. He said, the hand of the tongue has death and life in it. Death in it. Life in it. Why would we choose anything but life? And those who love it shall eat the fruit of it. He's telling you, your tongue will either bring you death or bring you life. He's not talking about sending it, giving it to other people. You're the one who's going to eat the fruit of your tongue. Are you hearing me? You can talk death. That tickled me to death. No, it didn't tickle you to death. Stop saying that, things like that. Man, I thought I was going to die. Really? <laughs> really? No, you didn't. Yeah, we got some work to do, don't we? Yes, Miss Ann's not going to chase you around and jump on you every time you make a bad confession. But it is something we all have to watch. Yes. I, just, I decided I'm not going to correct anybody's confession. I've got my own issues to deal with. Yeah. I got enough that comes out of my mouth to take care of trying to, instead of trying to chase somebody else down. But, but it is my job to tell you and keep telling you, watch your tongue. Yeah. 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 My post 21, I've got to move along. Your sayings secure your financial future. And this one here is a good one. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 6. I honestly did not know all these were prosperity verses until I put them all together. And I saw it this morning that these are all about prosperity. God has a message for you today. Ecclesiastes 11.6, my post number 21 says, In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both alike shall be good. Whether they both shall be alike good. So your sowing secures your financial future. Got a couple of people that are excited about it. Your sowing secures your financial future. Your sowing. Your shepherd does. Your service does. Your sayings do. But your sowing does too. Listen to this. Your sowing secures your financial future. I read this and was shocked that the Oklahoma version wasn't in here. I was raised on a farm here in Oklahoma, over in Love County. Y'all have heard my story. And I do believe all farmers ought to go to heaven because it'd be downright shame to farm all your life and go to hell too. It's be a cosmic injustice, you know. But we had a fourth possibility. He gives us three possibilities. The morning seed will produce well, or the evening seed will produce well, or they will both produce well. On our farm, there was a fourth possibility. Anybody know what the fourth possibility was? That nothing worked. That nothing grew. That was a possibility in my farm. Sort in the morning, nothing works. Sort in the evening, nothing works. But you know what God is telling you? That if you'll sow into His kingdom, you rule out the possibility of failure. You rule out the possibility of failure. You rule out the possibility of failure. You rule it out when you sow into God's kingdom on God's farm. Amen. You don't know if the morning seed is going to be the one that produces or the evening seed is going to be the one that produces, but or both of them will produce. That's a perfect thought that your sowing secures your financial future. There are three laws of the harvest. I want you to write these down. Three laws of harvest. One is, 
You always sow, always reap the same kind that you sow. You cannot plant corn seeds and expect to raise cotton. It ain't gonna. I don't care how much you confess over it. It ain't gonna raise cotton. Corn seeds raise corn. You reap the same as you sow, same kind. Another thing you need to get used to is that you reap in a different season than you sow. If you have a need next Monday, don't start sowing next Sunday and think you're going to get something. Because it takes time for seeds to germinate and bring you a harvest. Are you hearing me? You reap in a different season than you sow. And here's the one that's the most reason. This, this, this one here is the reason why most farmers stay in business. You reap more than you sow. Amen. Amen. Law number three, you reap more than you sow. You don't get back what you give. Now, what that means is giving to the poor is important, but giving to the poor is not how you're sowing. All you get promised by giving to the poor is that God will repay you, get it back. Just get your seed back. Sowing into the ministry is where you find harvest attached to your sowing. That's what the Bible teaches us in Galatians chapter Six, especially. He that sows to the ministry, Paul, that's the whole context there, shall reap in due season if we faint not. Amen. Amen. So he's sowing into what God is interested in. That's how you reap a harvest on the seed you sow. And now finally, this last one, I want to take a little time with this, if I may. Mile post 22. Are you still with me today? The Song of Solomon, the fifth poetic book in the Bible. There are five of them in the middle of the book. Middle of the Old Testament especially. And it's verse, chapter 2 and verse 4. Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 4. Your Bible may say Song of Songs. But we're pretty certain that Solomon wrote this. It says, He brought me to the banqueting house... One, one translation says, He brought me to His banqueting table and His banner over me is love. His banner over me was love. You know what that's talking about? Miss Ann and I toured the White House a few years back. We got to see the East Room, which is one of the state rooms where they have, where they have big shots come from around the world. We saw the, the dining hall, the state dining hall, which is another place where they have big shots come. They have, they have events in both those rooms. But one of them is where they have state dinners. They have all the heads of state that they'll invite. They can't invite every head of state from around the world, but they can have, they can have a couple of dozen of them at a time. And they set them up chairs at this big, long table in this big huge room, about, about half the size of this room. Huge room. And it's a big, beautiful, elaborately de decorated house. You can read all about it on the internet. But they had a state dinner there one time. I saw on television. They had cameras in there. And behind each of the dignitaries from different countries was their flag. Their flag set right behind their chair. So their banner was over them. 
their country's banner was over them. When you saw, when you looked, that guy didn't have to wonder where he's from. You saw his flag right above his head. That's what he's talking about. Solomon had a thousand wives. Had seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines. And the reason he had so many wives was not because he was all that passionate. No man is that passionate. I don't care what he tells you, he's not. Not even when I was 19. Am I right, darling? Darling's still trying to keep up with the one he's got. No, he did, he did that. He married, and married with, the, with the girls from all over the countries, countryside around him for p- political gain. Because if that king that lives next door to him has a son in his kingdom or grandson in his kingdom, he's not as likely to attack him. He did it for political purposes and for peace. And he would have these guys come in and sit around the table and have their banner up behind them. And this says of the, this girl here, that he fell in love with. She said, I'm dark. She said she was dark. That meant she was a working girl. She didn't get to stay in the house. She was out in the sun all the time. She was really dark from all the work. But Solomon loved her. And he brought her into his banqueting table. And she didn't have a country so she could have her flag up behind her. She said, his banner over me is love. I looked at my banner and it had a heart on it. I don't know why I'm here. I'm not from any state worthy of note. But I'm here because somebody loves me. Yeah, I don't care where you come from. Your king loves you today. His banner over you is love. So listen to this. Your sonship secures your financial future. Your, your daughtership too, but your sonship secures your financial future. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper. Who? The beloved. The beloved. He didn't say the beloved lightly. The beloved, I wish above all things that I may prosper and be in health. Even as your soul is prospering. Just as your soul is prospering. Because you're my beloved, I want you to prosper. Your sonship secures your prosperity. Would you bow your heads with me? Now, Father, my dear, I've done all I know to do. Father God, my, my, my good daddy, I've done all I can do as a preacher today. To communicate your goodness to us. Thank you for the poetic books. Thank you for the prosperity that's in these poetic books for your people today. And I pray in Jesus' name for everyone here under the sound of my voice that they will receive your goodness today. That goodness starts by coming to know you as a son, as a daughter of faith. And I pray for those who are here today who do not know you as Savior and Lord, that they will surely come to know you as Savior and Lord. Because you've made it so simple that even a child can understand that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Believe what about him? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. Help me people. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel and if we believe it, when we believe it, we become brand new creatures. Born again 
into the family of God as sons and daughters of the Most High, securing our, not only our financial future, but our eternal future. Thank you, Jesus.